everyone, welcome to our brand new podcast <coughs> series. And we will be talking about a really interesting topic. And this topic is about battling with cancer. Now, today, in order to talk about this topic, I got a friend to join me here. He is Jun. Now, instead of me introducing him, I would like him to actually tell you more about himself and his experience. So let us welcome Jun. Yo. Hi. Hi, Peter. <laughs> so, Jun, in order to introduce yourself, right, why not you just start by telling us a little bit about what you do? Uh, professionally, I'm a lawyer, as you know. <laughs> and um, I practice in a firm called Thomas Phillip. Uh, I've been in practice for 12 years. And I mainly do corporate and commercial disputes. So I do, uh, the firm does mainly does civil litigation. And the area in which I, uh, I wouldn't say specialize, because specialization is something that everyone claims to be in as a lawyer. But the areas that I'm, uh, that are my bread and butter are corporate and commercial disputes. Although I get involved in some interesting, not so commercial cases from time to time. <laughs> but those are the bread and butter, like you know, contract disputes, corporate disputes, shareholder disputes, uh, company suing directors, land disputes negligence cases, professional negligence. I do a variety of those things. Um, I'm also a father and a husband, father to two children, husband to a wife that's often unhappy with me. (laughs) (laughs) As all married married men know. And I'm also a practitioner of jiu-jitsu, in which that's where we we know each other. For those who don't know jiu-jitsu, it's a martial art that involves grappling on the ground with the uh, objective of trying to incapacitate your opponent by either strangling or uh, putting in a joint lock submission. Yep. So in a way, I, I like to deal with submissions in my life. Uh, when I go to court, I have to submit on the law. When I go onto the mats, I have to try to submit my, my opponent or my, my training partners. And at home, I have to submit to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I first met Jun when we were doing a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu together uh, in the gym in Tamantun called uh, Leverage, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, that time when I met Jun, um, I just started Jiu-Jitsu not too long. And what happened was that I heard that, oh, there's this one guy and uh, he got cancer. Yeah. And so we, we organized a visit. We went over to his house and that's how I got to know him. And subsequently, when I met him once again, uh, when he just finished his therapy, he came back and then he started training again. And I was thinking to myself, what's wrong with this fella? <laughs> You're supposed to be resting. Why are you back here training? And you know what? The more interesting part is this. You would imagine a guy coming back from cancer training. It's like, He's probably weak, but no, he actually beat the shit out of everyone. And I was thinking to myself, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> and that's how I got to know him. Now, and you can see, just like what he say, uh, he's a lawyer. He has been fighting in court, right? Not the, the corporate lawyer where they do paperwork, but really fighting in court. And his passion is also in jujitsu, also fighting. So I think fighting is really a hobby, eh? I, I suppose everyone has different inclinations. I suppose I like confrontation <laughs> and I like to be in a 
competitive environment or, or competitive environment. So to me, uh, why I like being a dispute resolution lawyer or litigator is that there are elements of conflict and you're trying to resolve that. So there's a lot of thinking that goes on as a strategy. It's like playing chess. Same thing with jujitsu. There's a goal that you want to achieve and you try your best to achieve it. The only difference between, let's say, being a lawyer, a litigation lawyer, and let's say being um, a nasi lemak seller is that you would have to fight a little harder. Whereas if you're selling nasi lemak, there's less conflict because people come and generally they will be quite happy to buy nasi lemak from you. <laughs> so yes, yeah, same thing with jujitsu. That element of me trying to kill him and him trying to kill me and we do our best to mentally and physically work our way around it, it's, it's, it fascinates me. And I always had that, that inclination to, 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 to like to be involved in this kind of competitive uh, events or sports. Yeah. No. Uh, having said that, let's go back to the time when you first got diagnosed with uh, cancer. Can I ask you one thing? Is that during that time, um, you were already a partner in Thomas Philip, right? Yes. Yeah. So you, for you, you're considered one of the young guys who actually really climbed the ranks very fast. And uh, how, how was life like at the point? Like before you found out you 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 actually had cancer. How was life like at the point? Okay. So. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 33, so that's about four years ago, or 34 actually, 33 going on 34. So at the time, I was made, I think, partner for a year, and of course, life was going in a good direction for me. Uh, I was a father, my wife was pregnant, I was a father to one already, my wife was pregnant, and I became partner, and work is really picking up, my career is picking up, uh, at, at the same time, I was also involved in jiu-jitsu. I was a purple belt at the time. I would say that life was pretty good. Like, I, the last thing that I expected was to actually be a very sick person. But I found myself facing that because I had a headache that was ongoing. And slowly, I also have a blockage in my, my left ear. And I thought I had an ear infection that caused the headache and the blocked ear. So I, I went to see some uh, doctors at the clinic they give me a bunch of diagnoses which are not very accurate. They will say, oh, maybe you have an infection, maybe they give me antibiotics and this and that, but it all didn't help. So I thought, you know, I can't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. I thought, hey, let's see a specialist. If the ordinary GPs are not good enough, I have to see a specialist. So I thought, yeah, I see an ENT. So I went to, I won't name, a, a, a well-known private hospital, and saw a doctor there that charged me a bomb. I had to do a series of tests. Cost, cost me, that visit cost me almost 10,000. 10,000? Almost 10,000. Just for first diagnosis yes, visit? Yes, for consultation, to, to do a nasal scope, a ear scope, uh, audio test, a bunch of things. Uh, plus the medication that I was given, strong antibiotics. Etc. Saying, oh, you probably have an ear infection that caused sinus infection as well because they were all clogged up. Of course, in hindsight, they were clogged up because the tumor was so big that it was irritating my entire system. So, he could, so when I did the scope at the time, the doctor didn't actually diagnose or saw the tum uh, see the tumor. 
I do not know whether it was too clogged up or because he's a shady doctor. Uh, I'm not interested in that at the moment. But suffice to say, I went back feeling a little poorer and <laughs> having to go through that whole course of antibiotics. So I, I did it, but it didn't get better. The headaches were still there. The ear was still blocked, and I have to be on painkillers uh, around the clock. If not, I can't sleep and I can't do my work. The headache was so painful. I had like constant migraine. So what changed or was the turning point was I started to skip jiu-jitsu training because the headaches were quite bad and I can't go to training that way. I have a friend. Actually, Malaysia would know him. He's a doctor turned comedian. <laughs> I know. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a Our common friend. Yes. He's, he's, Dr. He's, Jason Leung. That's right. So... He's my training partner, and he, he actually um, texted me and said, because it's very rare for me to miss training, especially on the weekends, because I love jiu-jitsu very much. And even if I'm busy during the weekdays, I would try to make training during the weekends. But I was skipping training every now and then because the headaches were getting out of hand. So he asked me, hey, what's wrong with you? You've been missing. Anything I can help you with? And I said, well, I've been having an ear infection that's causing me to not be able to focus and to also train. And I was thinking, man, the bills were very expensive. Imagine every trip I go to the hospital, I'm 10,000, you know, uh, I have to spend 10,000 every round. Yeah, It it's, will be very fast before I go broke, even as a partner of a firm. And he said, oh, you know what? I have a friend who just finished his uh, specialist course and is doing his... Um, specialist housemanship or something like that yep. in UM. Uh, let me check with him and if I can get you an appointment, we'll see him. And of course, very quickly, Jason managed to get me that appointment. So I was, uh, I went to visit Dr. Mike Wong. He was, he's quite young, about around mm. my age at the time, in his early 30s. And I was thinking, I might just, just do it, you know. UM is much cheaper. I don't have to pay 10000 for the visit. Yep. So we were all fun and jokes. Jason was also there. And I thought it's just going to be a routine checkup. But when the doctor, when Dr. Mike did the nasoscopy into my nose and right into the, his, his face turned. Suddenly he, he, he got a bit more somber. I noticed that. And then he started asking me, how are you, Yinjun? Now, that got me worried because usually when a doctor asks you about your age, they're really talking about two age. Uh, correlated diseases. One is cardiovascular. But he just got my nose. So it can't be the heart. So the next one is cancer. So of course, I, I got that premonition in me. It started to act up. I'm like, okay, something's not good. He said there's a tumor in my nasopharynx. Nasopharynx is the area between your nose and your throat. Yeah. So this system, we call it the ENT, the ear, nose, and throat. They're actually one system. They're all connected to one another. So the specialists for this area, they would, they would do this tree, the, the throat, the nose, and the ear. And he said there's a fairly large tumor in it. And there's a good possibility it's cancer because nasopharyngeal cancer is, is one of the more common cancers in Malaysia and particularly common among southern Chinese male. So it's a genetic disease and I did a biopsy and the biopsy confirmed that it's malignant then I had to do scans 
to go to, uh, to do what they call staging to determine what stage the cancer is at mm. <coughs> so that you can start preparing the treatment plan. Mm. So nasopharyngeal cancer is generally a, a, a rare cancer in the, in the world, but very common, extremely common among southern Chinese and male. Right. We have about 20 to 30 times more likely to develop this cancer than the average other type of person in the world. Right. And so, t- sorry to stop you there a bit. Sure. When when you when you heard that he told you that it's likely cancer, right? Can you tell me more? How was it like at that moment? Like, did you do you break down? Do you call your wife immediately? No, no, I didn't what break. Cross your mind at the time. It was still very fresh, and you do not know how bad things are. When the doctor said. It's po- it could possibly be cancer, but you have to go for a biopsy. There will still be hope within you to say maybe the biopsy will show it's not cancer. Maybe. So we had to wait for that. The biopsy doesn't happen immediately. They would take a uh, uh, flesh tissue from, from the, the tumor, mm. send it to the lab, and the lab would test it. So it took uh, a week's time or right. around there. Of course, when that came out, I went to the hospital with my wife, Jason, was also there, and we got the result. And it's, it's you know, it's not pleasant. Um, I actually broke down. My wife broke down because having cancer is really one of those things that isn't pleasant. And I'll tell you right now, after doing this for four years, it's it's hell on earth, especially as a late stage cancer patient. But I'll go to we'll go into that later. Yeah. So I found I had. MPC, it's called MPC uh, in terminal, sorry, medical lingo. And after the scan, I was diagnosed with stage 3 nasopharyngeal carcinoma, or MPC, or nose cancer. It's the same one that Lee Chong Wei had. Right. Have had, uh, I'm not sure, but remember at one point, yes. he, he, he made it public. Yep. And it's the same cancer. It's very common right. among um, uh, southern Chinese. Right. And in Malaysia, most of our ancestry as an ethnic Chinese came from the southern parts that's of right, China that's right, because yeah. they are near to Southeast Asia. So <laughs> they'll take the boat here, right? They'll take the boat here. So my grandfather was from Hainan Island. My grand, uh, my mother's side, they're, they're Cantonese. Right. This cancer is so common in Guangzhou, in Canton, right. that it is called the Cantonese disease, Peter. Oh, I'm Cantonese, you know. Yes. Pure so Cantonese. So you are... What, at one of the high risk, you should be doing uh, cancer marker tests every year for right, this right. cancer. And, and, and do you know I have a history of sinus? Yeah, but like uh, it, has been, it has been better like over the past few years. Like, I don't really have attacks anymore. Sinus, sinus is not a symptom. But now it's like... But nosebleed like is. And I was having more frequent nosebleed as, as, as before my diagnosis, <sighs> as the tumour got larger. Right. So... Why I was having headaches was because the tumor was so big that it was pressing against the base of my skull. Right. So there are very, a lot of nerve endings in your skull. So it was pressing into the nerve endings, and that's why it was causing me this severe migraine for many weeks. Right. So after, after that diagnosis, you, you were diagnosed with stage 3. And because previously you were already seeking for diagnosis, but I, I would say that you didn't get a more accurate diagnosis at the point you spent a lot of money. Yes. Uh, how long was that period when you were suffering from the symptom, but you didn't know? I would say about six, seven weeks. 
six, seven yeah. weeks. Yeah. And where I was bouncing between GPs and that specialist I told you about yeah. from the private hospital. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And during that period of time, um, things your your lifestyle started changing. You were you were mentioning. So, like, can you just share with us, like, prior to this, right? Prior to that happened, how was your lifestyle like? Um, I had a very busy lifestyle as a professional. Every lawyer in the city will tell you that they have a busy life. It's a lot of work. I mean, I'm in court, I'm in the office, I'm in meetings. And after that, I would go to train jujitsu as well. And then I would go home after that and then wake up again and life continues. So it was very hectic, filled with work. With whatever little time I have for myself, I do my jiu-jitsu. And I have to say, I was a very bad husband and father at the time. Wasn't at home a lot. But I still take the weekends to spend time with them. Um, I I mean, I was looking to upgrade my life at the time as well because uh, things were getting a little bit better financially. Uh, bought new cars because I was anticipating a, a, a baby because my wife was pregnant with my second child. And uh, all in all, it was doing well until, of course, I received the diagnosis that I'm stage three and I have to drop everything and go for treatment. Mm. And at the point, right, um, when when all this happened, you, you actually had all these great plans, right? Probably even think of buying a house, you know, whatnot, uh, upgrading yeah. lifestyle. Yes. Um, you're absolutely right. I was uh, looking to move closer to work because I was living in Kajang at the time. It's far away. I wanted to move much earlier, but my father passed away uh, in 2012. So I'm the eldest son, so I had to have the responsibility of shouldering uh, the, the, the role of being the man of the house. Mm. I can't leave my mom to stay alone yeah. when she's still dealing with the grief of losing my father very suddenly because mm. he died from a heart attack. And uh, so, yes, I was having plans to buy a house, just upgrade my life, move closer to work, buy a property somewhere in Monkara. They were all ongoing. But I had to take a halt because of the predicament I found myself in. Right. And the point was, was finance a concern? Like, I remember like whenever I, I'm wondering if I'm sick, right? The first thing that actually crossed my mind is actually money. Because yeah, I'm Mr. Money, you, right? Can, yeah. can you pay for your treatment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these things just start crawling right into my mind. Like, How is it like for you in terms of that? Peter, this is an excellent question. I would like to perhaps take this opportunity to tell your viewers that when your, life get, your, your lifestyle improves and your life gets better, you shouldn't be focusing on the material things. The first thing you should be focusing on is to ensure that you're properly taken care of in terms of your medical and, uh, and uh, insurance coverage. We never know when, uh, for lack of a better word, when shit happens. And sometimes shit does happen. So one of the things that I'm very glad um, to have happened was that I have a wife who used to be from the insurance. No, at the time she was in the insurance line. But she wasn't selling insurance. She was working with an insurance company. But she's very savvy with, with things like this. So as, as I make a better living, she has often 
insist. Oh, when I say insist, I mean mandated. Because <laughs> his wife, wife said, you do it, you just do it to upgrade my insurance. So um, I was happy la, that I had insurance coverage at the time. I have a life insurance, I have PA, and I have medical insurance. And I've just upgraded my medical insurance, I think a year prior to that or something like that, mm. or within a year. Um, and of course, I didn't know I had cancer, but my wife said, well, you're a mate partner, right? A year ago, right? You're a mate partner. You're doing better now. Take some of that money and put it towards insurance. I'm very happy because this treatment, the treatment isn't cheap. Cancer treatment is very expensive. So I had one million. And I'll tell you right now, after four years, I finished using up the one million. How, how much have you spent up to date just for a treatment? More than a million. Wow. M- more than a million. Anywhere between uh, one to 1.5 million. I can't rec- recall exactly the figure, but it's really and, past. And that's just for treatment alone, Just right? for treatment. It doesn't include other kind of things. Well, when I went to Taiwan, I, I spent some money because I have to stay there for right. three months. I have to you know, pay for accommodation, expenses. It's not cheap. Taiwan, is, is the standard of living there is higher than ours. Yeah. Um, so since we're talking about Taiwan, and you suddenly I, 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 jump, I jump it a little further. Yeah. I didn't start out my treatment in Taiwan. I did it locally first. Mm. I did it with UM Specialist Center because I was diagnosed in UM. But yep. UM is a government hospital with a private wing. Yep. If I wanted to go tr- down the government route, um, I have to wait. Because That's right. That's we right. have a lot of people waiting. That's right. I will not get treatment uh, yep. as soon as possible. Probably wait for a month or more. Yes. So I had insurance. So of course I was advised to say, hey, you have insurance. Go for insurance coverage and do it sooner. Because things like cancer, you never know. That's right. Things could change very quickly in a matter of months, right? The, the tumor could be bigger. It could have spread. So I started there. And we go through what is known as CCRT. Uh, com, uh, concurrent chemo and radiotherapy. So I had to do radiotherapy to my nasal pharynx, which is radiation to blast the tumor. Mm. At the same time, because the, I, I'm at the advanced stage of the cancer, stage three, tumor is big, I had to do a lot of chemo. Mm. Chemo is chemical therapy, so they give you drugs designed to kill the cancer cell. And of course, it, it's some of the hardest things a person can do in their life because along with the good sorry along with the bad cells they kill the good cells too so i the re- like for example you can hear that my voice is quite uh hoarse i wasn't i didn't i didn't sound like this 4 years ago yeah but i have permanent yeah. radiation damage so my voice is damaged there might be a day where i might not be able to speak and have to use that thing that what do you call it? The larynx, that microphone yeah, you put the, your throat, the one that you when you vibrate your throat and it translates to voice because your voice box is damaged already. Right, right. I have so, so I have so much side effects from the treatment. Mm-hmm. Be- before we talk about going to Taiwan, right? Yeah. Um, <coughs> I I think one thing you highlighted there was very very true. Uh, over my years, I mean, I started off as an insurance agent. Yeah, and I've seen many people who actually once they get a promotion in life, they are more willing to spend cars, five thousand ringgit to buy a nice house, nice car, <coughs> right? 
but just a 200 ringgit upgrade of insurance, they'll think twice, think three times, you know, and stuff like that. They'll say, no, I don't. Uh, but right. buy, buy house, buy car, no problem. Go and drink another round, no problem. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's very, very true. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, that, that you have to thank your wife because she mandated it. If not, that may not have been your decision, right? Correct. Yeah. Actually, uh, spot on. I mean, you know, we go through life with friends and peers and you can see every time things better, the people, people want to reward themselves. So they'll be thinking of buying a new car, new house, new watch or whatever. It's very rare they will say, okay, I, I'm not doing better. I want to upgrade my insurance. It's not often on their head, but it should be because you never know when uh, trouble strikes. So imagine if I didn't upgrade my insurance, uh, I w- my previous plan was only 200000 Oh, that would be another a million coming out correct, from my own pocket. Correct. Right? So, I yeah. mean, if I can't afford, obviously, I'll probably have to go to the government and whatnot, right? But it's basically, that's very important to make sure that your protection, mm. your insurance protection, commensurates with your, 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 your financial level. Mm. Um, so as you do better in life, don't think of buying, the, if you're women, don't think of buying a new Chanel handbag. That, that comes later. If you're a guy, if you like watches, no, no, that Patek Philippe can wait. That Rolex can wait. Yeah. Yeah, upgrade your insurance first. I'll tell you a story. Uh, I won't name, name this person, but he's a dear friend of mine and he has since passed away, so I won't name him. But uh, just like me, he was he's a lawyer, m- much, much better and more successful lawyer than I am. And, uh, but he's a, he's a typical Chinaman, you know, very calculating. So to him, insurance was never worth it. Uh, at the age of 40, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And uh, st- I think stage four. And it's not pleasant. And one of the treatment plans that he was prescribed to go on is called targeted therapy. And the mm. pill that he has to take costs one, he has to take one a day to deal with his, his cancer. It costs a thousand ringgit. For one? For one. So every day, he had to spend 1,000 ringgit on the pill. And in a year, it's 365,000 just on the pill. Just on the pill. Considering surgery, other forms of treatment, seeing the doctor, etc. And at the time, he told me, he said that he never thought of having insurance because as a partner of the firm that he was in, they had insurance for him. But insurance only for 200,000. Right. Of course, in his mind, he was thinking, 200,000 is enough if I have any sickness. But the reality is that today, treatment is very expensive for any of the diseases that you have, whether it's cardiovascular or you know, yeah. uh, respiratory or cancer. In fact, cancer is very expensive. One of the most expensive treatments. Very expensive. Treatment. Yeah. And you'll be surprised that, that you would think, hey, this won't happen to me. But you never know. I'm not cursing anyone. Trust me. I've been through hell and back. Yeah. I would not wish even my worst enemies to go through what I had to go through, to have, can- to have late-stage cancer. It is terrible, Peter. Mm. I do not wish this upon anyone. But just like I was in the peak of my life at 34 or 33, going 34, I never thought that I would have to be a cancer patient. Can can you tell me 
more about how was it like going through this cancer treatment. I mean, we always hear about it. And uh, we always hear about people dropping their hair, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and like the other day, we were having a conversation is that when we look at you in the gym, you're beating everyone up. We're thinking, hey, June looks fine. <laughs> so, but how is it really like battling cancer, going through all the treatment? So, so to, to, exp to answer that, I first have to explain what treatment I went through. Uh, I went through surgery, um, a scar on my chest for it. I went through what is known as ablation, where it's a form of surgery. They puncture your lung and put this thing inside and blast it with microwave or radio wave to, to, to burn it. So microwave is hot, right? It, to burn the, the lesion. Because wow. what happened was I went through one round of uh, chemo radio treatment it was very tough. I, uh, it was seven weeks of radiation, five days a week. How, how is radiation like? I hear that at the moment you do it, it feels okay, but at the moment you come out there, everything looks burned and stuff like that. Is so the, the effects will come after a few days or a few weeks. So it's a seven week, 30 over days. Uh, so if you count five days a week, uh, on the weekdays, you do it for about seven weeks. In these seven weeks, the first two, three weeks, you probably won't feel much. But as you enter your third week and onwards, you start feeling. The, 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 so for example, there were, the tumor was right near my throat. was right near my throat. So I had radiation laceration to the throat. It burned the throat and my nose. So my sinuses were inflamed. My, I, I can't eat. So doctor prescribed me on a liquid diet. I can't speak as well. I lost my voice, I lost my taste. Everything tastes like metallic, like card, metallic cardboard. Everything tastes like Everything, yes. Water tastes like vomit. So, wow. So it's, it's really terrible. Um, and uh, my neck, the skin started to peel because they were burned by the radiation. So I have to bathe with cold water and put lotion because they were peeling and cracking and burn so it's all it's very unpleasant and the chemo will cause me to have um, all kinds of stomach issues uh, and weakness and um, nausea lethargy so I will be vomiting I will have constipation then the doctor will give me uh, laxative and the laxative will be so powerful because my body is weak and then I will have diarrhea and then it's a cycle, cycle of just having sinus issue, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. And it's a cycle for that, for, for two months. For, so, number one, you get, when you do radiation, you get all these burn marks, right? And yeah. I, I suppose, the, what's the closest thing that someone can, can imagine? Imagine sunburn, but times 50. My God. Uh, <laughs> it's pain, it's painful. It's like your scenes are cracking like and, and yeah. The so kind that I just. Yes, but f more, 50 times more painful. Ooh, okay, and okay. Yeah, because, you know, I, I can't even talk. The, the throat was burned. I was on liquid diet. And because everything tastes so bad, I was not eating well. I was not getting nutrients. So I, uh, there was one point I lost eight kilos in a week. 
eight kilos in yes. a week. So in I a week. Be, yes, I had to be hospitalized, and I was hospitalized uh, three times. Uh, if I didn't go to the hospital, I will die from malnutrition, because the, uh, as cancer patient, one of the common things that happen to us is that we die during treatment uh, from malnourishment, uh, and the term is called kesha, uh, and which is where you are so weak, so malnourished that your body cannot deal with the treatment and it shuts down. That's that's why people say that sometimes the treatment is the one that kills you. No, 50% of patients die from treatment. It's statistically right, established. Right. So hospitals around the world, they gather information. 50% of cancer patients die during treatment. So is it because... Is it because like, like like what you say, right? Once you get the treatment, it is so difficult. Like whatever it tastes, it tastes like vomit, you know? I, I can't imagine if, if, it, if water <coughs> tastes of vomit to me, I probably don't want to drink water for the whole day, right? And at the same time, you have all this constipation, you have a, you can't, your stomach is just not processing very well. Yeah. And then you don't eat at the same time. You have so nausea, you have lethargy. So it's like the you only, can't sleep. only way you can fight it is you really have to discipline and force yourself to eat, force yourself to drink, force yourself to to even pangsai, you know, put it yeah. this way. Yeah. Oh man, I, I I'm not gonna share some of the more gnarly ones, but there was an incident where I I think uh, two days before I was hospitalized, my wife who was pregnant at the time, heavily pregnant, she made a shake for me. I stared at a shake for an hour, Peter, because I couldn't bring myself to drink it because it tastes so terrible and it hurts so much when I drink. And my wife was walking around and she noticed I haven't drank it for an hour. She looked at me and said, you know, if you don't drink, you will die. And I looked at her and I said, that isn't so bad. But she, I, can, I can see the disappointment in her eyes when I said that. Because she is trying so hard. It's not easy on her. But so I, if I give up, it would be very unfair to her. So when I look at that disappointment in her eyes after I said that I was more willing to die than to go through what I'm going through, I forced myself. Yes, I was hospitalized after that, but you know what? I told myself, I'm just going to do it. It's very tough. I would not blame people for quitting their treatment. And a lot of cancer patients do not finish their full treatment. Yeah, yeah. Especially late-stage cancer treatment uh, patient because it's so hard on their body and their mind. You're going through torture every day. At one point, my throat was so lacerated and my sinuses were so inflamed, I had a back flow. It irritates my throat. I cough like a mad person every year. 15 minutes to the point where I couldn't sleep. Oh. So I was sleep deprived, nauseous, lethargic, constipated, having diarrhea, sinus issue, throat issue. Uh, my saliva glands were roasted by the radiation, so I had no saliva. No, no, no saliva. saliva. So I had to drink water, I had to take fake saliva. So it. it no saliva means literally it feels almost like when you dry go to a country with winter and then you just took a breath and it's so dry that it is pokey yeah. and constant. So I would cough myself to wake up because it was so dry and the back flow. Uh, it's so whenever you cough, you are also hurting the 
the skin of the I can't remember yeah, yeah, the I, I would, epithelium. I would tear when I cough. Oh my god! Uh, not because I was beating myself, but because the pain was so severe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when yeah. I cough, I would tear up often. So, so it is true when people say, "I'd rather die than doing treatment." It is. They are justified in saying that, because if I didn't have a family to stay alive for, in hindsight, knowing what I have to go through, I might say, "Hey, screw it, I will party till I die." You you have to thank your wife for looking at your face and give you that disappointment face. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at some point you have to you have to start to fight. You can't just lie down and take it. So would you say that that was like really the changing point for you in your perspective towards fighting this disease? No, not at that point yet. Maybe I would say 50%. But after the treatment, I was in uh, like, I wouldn't say remission, but I was clear because I did scans after that and I was clear. No cancer detected for about eight months or nine months. So, so that was like a good news, right? The fresh breath of good news at the point. Yes, but... Like all good things, they don't last. And in my nine months, I had a lump in my neck, and that got me worried. So I went to see my oncologist. Oncologist is your cancer doctor. And he said, you know what? Let's just do a scan. I did a scan. The lump was nothing. But my cancer recurred and spread to my lung. <laughs> and I, my wife had to ask my doctor more than once, what are my chances? And my doctor said, well, statistically, I was 35 at that time. And he said, there's less than 50% chance of me not making my 40th birthday. Right. Yeah, meaning I, I may die in the next couple of years, like right now, because I'm, I'm a stage four cancer patient. Because once the cancer is spread, yep. you are pretty much at the, the worst stage possible. Yeah. It's just about containing the spread and everything. Don't talk about being cured. Talk about not dying first. That was how serious it was when you enter stage four. So how was it like at the point? Because this like you guys just got a good news. Everything thought that it's gonna be fine. Yeah. And suddenly now doctors say that it's spread. Yeah. I I cried for a week. Couldn't I mean not like every day, but before I sleep, thinking, if I die, what's going to happen to my, my family? Because my son, uh, during the period when I was doing okay, my son had speech delay. I took him to a speech pathologist who told me that I should take him to see a child uh, psychiatrist, a, a pediatric uh, developmental specialist who diagnosed my son as being autistic on the autism spectrum disorder. So you know, people with autism, they are special needs. And there's a possibility they may not be able to take care of themselves when they grow up. I was, all this does, did not allow me to take the news well, well. Because if I die prematurely or, you know, at this, in the next few years, what's going to happen to my family? As a, as a, as a, as a father and a, and a, and, a, and a husband, you get worried. And then what about my mom? She lost my dad. Now she has to lose the son. It's tough. It's tough on her. No parent, you know. Uh, that's what uh, 
forget what's his name, the the king of Rohan, in in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. When he awakened from his spell, from from one of that Saruman's lackey, yes. uh, worm tongue, I think, and then he had to bury his his his, his son, right? Yep. Yep. And then he said, no parent should bury their 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 children. That's mm. true. If I die in the next few years, my mom has to bury me. That's not fair to her, because she had to go through losing a husband in in such a sudden way. Imagine she had to see me dying a slow and painful death, and then bury me. All these thoughts enter my mind, and it got me. I I was in despair. I was quite sad and depressed. But after a week. I ask myself, do I have a choice? <laughs> I don't. I have to, uh, yes, treatment is terrible, but screw it. I got to go through it. I have to live for my family. I can go through this dejected, beaten, weak, or I can go through this thing. I'll, I'll take you on. Yeah, sucker, come, come get me. Yeah, man. I told myself, hey, I've been fighting for for so so many aspects in my life. I fight in court. I fight on the mats. This is my life. I have to fight for it. So I entered into a fighting mode. Um, that was actually the last time I cried because of my cancer. I stopped giving a damn about it already. <laughs> I accepted that I would die in the next few years. If I don't, it's great. I accepted that I would suffer. And once you have acceptance, you realize that it's much easier to cope. So the day I stop giving a damn is the day I actually feel free of the mental uh, burden of being a, a, a stage four cancer patient. So when when you say that, that's the turning point where you accepted the fact that this is the condition that you are in. Uh, the chances of survival is like that and it's kind of like fuck it I'm just going to deal with it yeah and just but it's it's easily said but it's not easily done right and uh. at, at the same time you will have multiple people telling you you see you see that chemotherapy uh, you see you go through doesn't work my heart right you, maybe you should try it this particular way that lingzi or that this that what you know and like it, it kind of like it's not easy to come to the point and say, hey, I accepted. And then you accepted the particular treatment that you will be going through, which you know is Terrible. suffering. Terrible, yeah. And millions of people are telling you that maybe you should try something else at the same time. So how, how do you deal with all those? That's an excellent question, Peter. Um, so first, let's talk about the mental aspect first. You're right. It's much easier said than done. How many people make New Year resolutions to stop being fat asses but fail? Millions and millions every year. So the human mind is actually quite weak until it needs to be strong. So I don't know where I've read. I think Harry Potter, <laughs> that a man is bravest when he's afraid. I can't recall where I've read this. And you can only really find courage, your true courage, your true bravery in your darkest moments where you are enveloped by fear. I have to say that perhaps I am strong or perhaps my parents raised me well or perhaps 
somewhere along the line, I found that strength. I do not know where, but I found it. The strength to endure, but it's not easy. I cried for a week, ready to give up, Peter. And I've heard of stories where cancer patients kill themselves rather than to go through A, the whole treatment, or B, the disappointment in their family's face that when he says, I don't want to go through the treatment, that they took their own life. I've heard of these stories, anecdotal stories. I was ready to give up at that point. I didn't want to go through the pain again. But of course, I found the strength in me to say, hey, I can't be a pussy. <laughs> what would my children think of me? What would my late father think of me? What would my friends think of me? I am not a pussy. <laughs> I'm not a coward. At that point, I came. I, and that's when I say, screw it. I will go through it. And you know, since then, I've been through three years of non-stop treatment of countless chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, non-stop. I'm still suffering as we speak, but man, I've never been happier. I'll be honest, I'm happy. It's very, very bizarre That's for very true. you to someone who, who has been told by the doctors to have a few years in life, every day going through the, the suffering I go through to say, hey, Peter, I actually feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with that because um, whenever I meet June, it always gives me this feeling that like, I think he's fine because like, there's this vibe around him is that he's very contented and very satisfied with where he's at. It's like, it's just another day. Oh, why? Why are you exaggerating my illness? Like, that kind of feeling almost. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have three things that I'm passionate about at this moment and in life. The first, of course, is the fact that I'm a family man and I care deeply about them, despite what my wife thinks. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I'm actually a very uh, passionate, I'm very passionate in what I do for a living. I love being a lawyer, a litigator. I love court work. I love to argue. Oh, I yeah. love to draft my papers. I love to be involved in disputes. I love to fight. <coughs> and people have told me, John, why do you want to do a work that is so stressful now that you are so sick? Why don't you do something less stressful? Being a litigator, you are carrying the problems of others and trying to solve them. And, I, I, and I've, I've done this reflection. There's nothing else I want to do than to fight, to try to screw up people in court. <laughs> in a way, I, I like helping the people I help. I do. I, when I solve the problem for them, I feel good. Not for them. I'll be honest, I'm selfish. I get paid for it. So first, I feel good that people pay me to solve their problem. But two, I have the ego in me. Man, I, I have won. I have helped them, man. I'm, I'm the man. Like, that, that internal part yep. of me is still there. That satisfaction when I manage to win a hearing, win a case, or help my clients solve their problem, settle a dispute. I feel good. And thirdly, I love jiu-jitsu. I love to strangle other men. And, they can, and I love the feeling of helplessness when I manage to strangle them at the tap. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I want this chess, this human chess battle. And that's it. I slap hands, we go again. It's like a game I play. And I love it. So all these are, 
with the exception of being a family man, doing law and doing jujitsu, they're not easy for a cancer patient. Yeah. I'm losing my voice and I have to go to court and argue. Of course, I'm very grateful that the judges that we have these days, they are very humane. They won't do things like, you can't drink water. <laughs> I will ask for permission and they'll say, by all means, Mr. Tan. So I'm very grateful that we, we live in a time where the judges are very humane. And they, they, whether they know I'm sick or not, I'm not sure. But they would say, of course you can drink water. That is what I need. Because every 20 minutes, I have to sip because I have yeah. dry throat problems. That's right. I have no saliva, I have a bad, bad throat, etc. I'll do it as long as I can. There will be one day I might lose my voice and I would probably have to hang my gloves. Right. Maybe do backroom work. Until that day happens, Peter, fuck it. I'm going to be in court. I love what I do. Jiu-jitsu. My muscles around my shoulder and neck, they're all inflamed, tender to the touch. What do you do in jiu-jitsu? You get strangled. You get strangled. It's crazy. I'm still doing something that hurts. But you know what? I wouldn't do any other sport. You wouldn't catch me doing cycling on the road like one of those, <laughs> those idiots wearing those fancy leotards doing cycling on the roads. I'm sorry, but that's the stupidest thing a person can do in Malaysia. Look at the amount of accidents we have. I don't feel safe driving a car. I do not know how these people can cycle on the roads. Oh, okay, I will not turn True, this into actually a Actually, in a way, right? You think about it, right? The chance of you getting injury cycling is probably way higher than doing jiu-jitsu. Way higher. Way higher. <laughs> They're nuts. Yeah. I have no problem if they do it in a track, indoors, or in the jungle doing mountain biking. But to cycle for leisure on the Malaysian roads, man, these people, they are courting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, having said that, right? Then the next part that we want to talk about is those pseudo-treatment that people yes. recommend. Yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? So I've been a cancer patient, late-stage cancer patient for four years. I was diagnosed in March of 2018. We are already in April of 2022. In this period, trust me, I've not only had well wishes, but I've been given a plethora, a myriad of suggestions Alternative treat for alternative treatment. Have you tried any? No. Why? Um, the short version is that they are not proven to be effective. The long story is that I actually went and did a research on every one of them because, hey, it's in my interest. I am at the end of the rope. I'm, I'm a stage four cancer yes. patient. And... Uh, the con uh, what do you call that? Not conservative. The mainstream treatment of radiotherapy, surgery, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, whatever. They are not pleasant, yep. <laughs> and they're yes. expensive. Yes. So, of course, when people come to me and say, "Jun, consider these alternative ways," I would, but I, I'm a lawyer, and it is. Always, uh, like whenever a, a client tells me, June, I never agreed to it. Or I, yes, I, I, I told them that. I would say, is there a letter? Is there a, an email? Is there a message? Or they would say, oh yes, they promised me to do it. How? For me, evidence is very important. Mm. Talk is cheap. Evidence is what matters, right? 
Yes. So when people come and tell me, Jun, this thing, what do I do? I research, I look for evidence. Right. I research to see, is it really effective? Right. So let me tell you the variety of things that are proposed to me. Number one, yeah. the spiritual time. Okay. Faith healing, I call it. Where you go for prayers or they do incantations or you drink water with burnt amulet and all those <laughs> things. And a bunch of, you know, uh, I would call it spiritual treatment right. or faith healing. Right. Then you have, of course, the pseudoscience uh, of doing like coffee enemas, where they put coffee into your ass. Huh? Your ass. Oh, what's serious? Of course. That's bizarre. Uh, taking ginseng, lingzi. Okay, you know, ginseng, lingzi, more common. Uh, or putting coffee to your <laughs> Bazoa powder. You know bazoa? The the gut of the porcupine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Chijin's hole in Cantonese. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, it's called bazoa. Yeah. But uh, dried up uh, liver or some shit mm, like mm. Uh, kidney. Or, uh, I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's an organ that is dried up and it's from the porcupine where they grind. It's extremely expensive. Yeah. But it's pseudoscience, of course, because really it doesn't work. Right, right. Um, and, you know, so I've been approached by faith healers. I've been approached, uh, I mean, I've been told to consider faith healing, to consider taking vitamin what, B19, right. which is actually apricot seed, right. which contains cyanide. Okay. <laughs> so basically, it's a faith healing uh, pseudoscience supplements and I guess TCM to a certain extent, TCM, kind of like TCM, TCM kind of mixture. Yes. Okay. But what's, the, what's, the, what's the most bizarre one other than that? Coffee anima. Yeah, coffee anima. That, <laughs> What's that, the most bizarre? That, uh, of course, faith healing is one of them, where people would say, if I tr- pray for you, your sickness will go away. So literally, got people come and tell you, yeah, I yes. pray for you. No, no, that's fine. Like, people say, uh, I will join my prayers. That's fine. These uh, people say, I know a sifu, or I know a, a priest, or I know a, 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 a preacher. Uh, different religions la. I will not uh, make fun of yeah, them correct, correct. because I'm not here to make correct. to make <laughs> enemies of other religions but different religions will come to me and they have uh, and some to go to the temple to drink the amulet water right right so some would say you sit there the Sifu would do incantations to you for an hour and after that you will feel better and your cancer right, will go right. away yeah I, th- I think there's a huge difference between like um, you saying like, you. hey, let me pray for you. Yes. you know, I, I hope that you're going to do well. That yes. kind versus like... You go to see the Sifu or yeah. the Sensei or And medium. you do a particular treatment set. A ritual. A ritual. Pay the money. Uh. They would go through a pray, prayer ritual for you. Right, right, right. So that's like really very common actually. Yeah. Wow. Uh, five, six suggestions uh, of these people. All kinds. From, yeah. you know, drinking amulet water to putting the hand on my head and right, all, right. all the same prayers. Right. And then <laughs> I have, of course, the very bizarre pseudoscience, coffee enema. <laughs> That's it will clear all my toxins away. Vegetable juice diet, <laughs> where every day you only take vegetable juice. Mm. Oh. I, I, I doubt drinking vegetable juice right, will cure right. stage 4 cancer. Yeah, and and there's, this, there's this whole myth about um, not eating any sugar at all. You know right. something, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. Because if you do your research, you will know everything, with the exception of fats, carbohydrates and protein that you ingest in your body will be converted to sugar. That's right, yeah. And, and I was just reading up about it uh, to prepare for today's one. Uh, it was like, they were saying that 
doctors were saying that actually at the end of the day, because your body will need glucose to run. So whatever you consume is going to convert <laughs> into glucose. And if you don't take any carbohydrate at all, it's going to open up for, for, for your body to actually convert fat into it, which actually end up, you know, it's actually okay, may not be okay. that good that's, as well. That's or a different like that. science <laughs> that's be, be above my pay grade. I do know about it because yeah. I've read it, but I'm not the right person to discuss yeah, yeah. about keto diets and stuff. It's called keto yes. diets, ketogenic uh. diets. Let's, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> sugar is inflammatory, refined sugar. Because if you take a lot of it, it's very inflammatory because it's not, your body is not meant to ingest sugar that way. Traditionally, oh sorry, not traditionally, Back before we were civilized, which is only 5,000 years, our history as human beings, if you disregard the, the holy books, is about two, 300,000 years. Our species history is about that long. So we are fairly new species. But even then, our civilization is only 5,000 years. Yep. Before civilization, we have no agriculture. <laughs> we were hunter-gatherers. Yep. For us to get carbohydrate, you have to go and pluck the fruit. That's right eat the entire fruit, digest all the fiber, and then you only get the sugar That's with it. right. You get what I mean? So the fact that today we can go and get Kit Kat, which is filled with nothing but sugar, yep. is it's basically a cheat way. Mm. Just like how heroin opens up your, your dopamine system, like a highway, the same thing with sugar. It makes you feel good. That's right. That's right. So taking sugar is not good for your body. It's proven. It's very mm. inflammatory. It, it, it's bad for you. Mm. Maybe consuming a lot of sugar can lead to you developing cancer yeah. of certain things. But not taking sugar will not cure stage 4 cancer, guys. <laughs> okay, I wish. <laughs> so, so, okay, what is your... So now, right, uh, because I always talk to my doctor friends and my doctor friends always tell me this thing. Peter, I tell you, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you will find very funny and all these patients... Uh, you tell them to follow treatment, they don't follow. They find one million and one other pseudo-treatment. And especially common among well-educated professionals. They will tell me that instead, it is those that are very from Kampong one, they follow. Because you say, you got authority. But when it comes to those that are educated, they are the ones uh, who will tell you that your treatment don't work. And he's like, I'm the doctor. <laughs> this is something that is more prevalent today. We don't need cancer to tell us that. We just need to look at COVID, the whole pandemic. These people, they're educated in the sense that they are degree holders, they, they've been to colleges or universities, but they listen to people who are not experts yeah. telling them a bunch of nonsense about the pandemic. And they, they don't trust the virologists. They don't trust the, the scientists. It's the same thing. These people, when the doctor tells them, you have to go through chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and it's going to be unpleasant. They go into this conspiracy theory mode of thinking that the doctor is just trying to, you know, make big pharma richer. <laughs> so they will say, no, there must be a way. It is their arrogance in thinking that they are smart, they are educated, that they feel that they can find an alternative means to uh, extricate themselves from the problem they are in. Mm -hmm. Rather than just accepting, say, look, perhaps I should do the treatment as prescribed by my doctor. To me, it's a no-brainer. I'm a lawyer. Clients come to me because they know 
that I am the expert when it comes to litigation disputes. The law, the procedure, I know because I'm doing this every day of my life for the last 12 years and counting. They know I have a track record of dealing with dozens and dozens and hundreds of cases, a lot of which ended up positively for the client. They know that, so they trust me. So why do, not, do they not trust a doctor in the same way? As a lawyer, I find it to be bizarre that they are professionals. And yet they do not trust a fellow professional who is the expert in their field. What do I know about cancer? I didn't spend a single day in my life training to be an oncologist. I listen to the oncologist now. If I don't trust my oncologist, I can always get a second opinion or yes. a third opinion from other oncologists. And if they all say the same thing, hey, you know that's probably the thing that you have to do. Same thing with a lawyer. Maybe you think, oh, this lawyer, I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I get a second or third opinion. You can go and look for other lawyers and do that too. But would you go and look for uh, uh, an engineer for legal advice? <laughs> oh, this lawyer, I don't like it. Never mind. I asked my friend who's a, a civil engineer, hey, what do you think? Uh? You won't do that. It is bizarre that people will look at the, for advice from people who are not experts in their field. So what will be your advice to people who are currently right now struggling with following a treatment plan and they are being offered multiple kind of uh, pseudosciences and they themselves are being very much affected by Dr. Google? <laughs> Don't so listen to me. Do an in-depth, unbiased and unprejudiced research on the pseudoscience that they are proposing to you. I would not be so narrow-minded to say that they don't work. I'm just a human being, a mere mortal. I know less than what I don't know. That's the reality. But we have to be responsible too. We have to look at the evidence. So if someone proposes something to you, do your research and see. Ask them, what is the statistics on this? your doctor will be able to tell you the statistics because they will have access to medical journal publications, they will be attending seminars with other doctors, they will have cross-pollination uh, to say, right? They will have, um, what do you call it, uh, books to refer to, journals to study. Yep. This so-called pseudoscience. Can you ask him, give me a statistics of how many patients you have cured Stage four cancer patient by doing coffee in Nima. <laughs> <laughs> How many? That's bizarre, man. That's right? It's just damn weird, right? Yes. So to me, don't take it at face value alone and say, yeah, I believe you. Do your own research. That faith healing, that chanting. Don't listen. Oh, yes, they did it to one. Hey, one. What about the 1,000 that died? Then there's a very poor statistics, right? Don't listen. Yeah, I have one friend. Uh, he was cured because he went for prayers. The, the priest prayed to him every day and one day his cancer is just gone. Okay? <coughs> That's just one. How many other prayers did our dear priest do? A hundred? A thousand? Ten thousand? How many of them survived? <laughs> cancer gone. Give me the statistics. Give me the evidence. <laughs> then I might consider. If not, no. I will not abandon what has been proven to work over what that hasn't. It's just common sense. Follow the evidence, right? Yes. I think that's uh, yes. something that's very, very important. Yes. Now, uh, before before I come to an end of this topic today, um, what is your advice to 
people out there to try to live a happy life. I think why instead of me asking you all the other things, I want to ask this is that what is your advice for people to live a happy life? Because we always wonder like, hey, you know, I, I want to be happier. And some people actually just everything is smooth sailing, but they're still not happy. You got a whole lot of shit in your life. But I see you happy. So what is your advice to anyone just to be happy and do better in life? The answer is easy. But to achieve it is hard. For me, it's because I had to go through some very um, significant events in my life to come to the realization. So perhaps I will share a story with the viewers. When I was told that I have cancer, what is going through my mind was nothing about the material possessions I own or the achievements I had in life. What is on my mind would be my loved ones. How would their life be when I'm gone? How would they cope with it? You know, my family, my, my wife, my children, my mother, my brother, my immediate family members, my friends, my colleagues, the, the close, my partners. Not work, like, who's going to take over my file when I die? Nobody cares about that. When you get cancer, you won't think about it. You won't think about, wow, all the cases I've ever worn, I'm so great. You won't think about that. You will think about the people that you have encountered in your life and how you, your absence from this world would affect them. You will think about that. And then you come to the realization that our existence in this world, other than ourselves, are the relationships that we establish. So to be happy is to first acknowledge that what we have in life ultimately are the people around us. Your Rolex will not follow you to the grave. <laughs> you can bury it with you, but you're gone. You're just a, that's a, a, a empty shell at the time. Whatever religion you believe in, we all can accept that when you die, that body is no longer you. It's just a dead body. All right? I'll just be frank. I'm a materialist and a realist. So I don't really... And I was very religious and spiritual until the passing of my father and the diagnosis of my uh, cancer. I don't believe in spirituality anymore. Not because I've given up. Because I've come to a realization, my own, I'm not telling others, you all find your, your place in this world. My place is I know that I'm a father, a husband, a son, a brother, a partner, a colleague, a friend, a teammate to my training partners, etc. That is my identity in this world. When I'm gone, the memory of me being this, playing these roles is the only thing that is left. Nothing else. Of course, in law, I will advise you differently. Like you have an estate and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but why is it important for us to know this? Because it's the only thing that matters. So when you accept that your existence in this world, when you die, is only in the minds of the people that, you, that know you, 
you will live your life differently. You will start to treat other people differently. You will start to look at life differently. I always tell people, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer and I'm surrounded by people who are like me, go-getters in life. They are so caught up in the rat race that in their mind it's just about making more and more money. And then when they make more money, they want to buy bigger houses, nicer cars, nicer watches, um, go on fancy holidays, fly first class, business class, whatever. They think of luxuries in life. They think of all these things. But I'll tell them that if you can afford it, it's great. But those are not the things that really matter. Make sure that you're honest with yourself about what are the things that really make you feel contented and grateful in life and pursue those things. I'm not saying that now I start giving free legal work for everybody that sees me say, yeah, I need to make a living. But when I take up a case and I help my clients, it's not just money on the line. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's, it's more. I want to help people yes. because I know that when I die, and they will say, oh, damn, June passed away. He was my lawyer. And he was a good lawyer who helped me deal with my problems to the best of his ability. That is what I'll be remembered for professionally as a competent, dedicated, and passionate legal professional who is trying my best to achieve a solution for my client. The same way I want my children to remember me or my wife to know that despite being a Stage four cancer patient, I do my best to provide for the family and to ensure that they're taken care of so that when I die, things will not be so hard on them. I, I, um, I, I hope my teammates will know that when I die, I was a helpful teammate. I did my best to help them improve their, 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 the, the sport that we are so passionate about. And as a friend, I hope that people remind me as this guy who's full of shit, talking crap, but happy and just enjoy telling a good story or laughing to a good joke. Those are the things that matter in life. Because when you die, you'll be remembered by that. Not by the car that you drive or the house that you live in. You think about it. You think of a friend that passed away. What car did he drive? You don't remember anymore. <laughs> but you remember, ah, that guy's a funny guy. Even though he was saying bloody hell, whenever I crack this joke, he will laugh. You remember him that way. Yes. Oh, even the negative things. Man, the guy very stingy. Every time when we come up for drinks, he never once offered to pay. <laughs> but God bless him. Uh, he's, he's gone. People remember you by the interactions you have with them, not by the material possessions that you have. Unless you're a Jolo and you used to own the, <laughs> the equanimity, which is a fine piece of shit, uh, with one B or something like that. <laughs> so in closing, that is what I have to say. How to be happy, be honest with yourself. You make enough to the point where it's enough, meaning you're happy with it. Other than that, you have to focus on the one thing that money can't even buy, and that is time. Mm. Spend your time wisely in the relationships that you have. That's, why, that's that to me. So today, everything I do, I use that as my guiding beacon. And that's how I stay happy. I'll be honest with myself. I'll be honest, there are cases where it's a pain to do it. Not because the case is hard. I don't give up because the case is hard. But because I have clients who are not appreciative or 
the circumstances of doing the case is causing me more misery than joy because of a plethora of factors. Mm. I would say, maybe you should find another lawyer. I'm okay. I'm okay not to do this work. Yeah. Right? So, having, having said that, uh, to close off today's session, right, um, I think at the end of the day, like what you say, it's really about the people around us, yes. how we are being remembered. That yes. is actually really, really more important. So, always we hear all these uh, very cliche kind of advice. They always say it like that, right? Uh, but the truth is, it is the truth. There's, there's no secret to it. There's no nothing to it. It's just like that, right? And <laughs> it yeah. is cliche until you get hit in the face with the reality of the situation that you're in. Yep. It's cliche because you hear it all the time. But it is also probably cliche because it's the truth. Yep. I think people have heard this many times. When they go to a hospice, a hospice is where you have dying people, people yep. with terminal illness, etc. Yep. And they're just getting, you know, care until they yeah. finally go away. I might find myself in a hospice in time. I don't know. Things are too hard to say. But you will hear, what is the one thing people always regret? And you keep hearing this, oh, I didn't spend enough time with my friends, my family, and you know, enjoy doing the things I enjoy. I, I spend too much time working in the right race. And you're like, why do we hear this all the time? <laughs> because it's the damn truth. When I was hit with cancer, stage, four, stage three, stage four, I was thinking, man, I've just wasted the last few years of my life working so hard. <laughs> now, if, if there's anyone out there who would want to reach out to you to actually get an encouragement, maybe they themselves are battling certain diseases or they are battling with certain uh, challenges in their life, uh, is there any way that they can get in touch with you? Um, well, if you have a legal problem, <laughs> yeah. I'll put a shameless plug. Yeah, I, please do. I'm a, I'm a partner in Thomas Philip and we are a uh, boutique litigation firm. I mean, we, we do some corporate and convincing work, but we, we 99, 90% of our work is litigation. So you have legal roles, you can just come and ask me, and I'll give you a very competitive free quote. Okay, <laughs> wait, uh, let me tell you, he's being humble, they are actually very famous, they are very well known in the market. In fact, whenever I mention their firm's name, everyone just go, who? Oh, and people who try to con me or anything, I usually just throw like, oh, uh, let me talk to my lawyer. He's from uh, Thomas Philip. Then they all will be like, oh, <laughs> then they'll take a step you, back. You're, you're being kind. <laughs> but what I want to say is we are on, 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 on Google. You can search Thomas Philip and you can see me there and you can and that's my email and my contact number there. Right. So whoever that needs to talk, not about law, not just about law, but any, especially cancer patients, because yep. It's really one of the hardest things that you... You know, people yeah. with disease, la, certain diseases yeah. that are hard to deal with. Anytime you want to talk, by all means. I will likely tell you, do jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> because it's one of the best ways I'm coping. Yeah. It's hard, but it's, it's a good distraction from the, the difficulties I'm suffering. And I do it because it's my way of saying, F you to the cancer. Because when people say, oh, you got cancer, there are many things you can do in life. You must do Tai Chi instead. <laughs> really? And Qigong. That's what I've been told. Tai Chi and Qigong, Tai Chi and Qigong, Tai Chi and Qigong. This is my F you to those people. 
end to the, to the disease. No, I'm going to do the very art that is hard. I have a chemo part. Yeah, yeah, I, I so really I don't know to, how you roll it. I had to wear uh, extra protective gears when I wrestle with other people because it's a very rough sport that I'm involved in. You know, <laughs> right. your partner's literally trying to kill you by trying to strangle you or break your arm or your leg. Of course, <laughs> it's civilized in a way where you can always give up at any time yep. by tapping yep. or verbally. So to me, anytime you want to talk, if you have a problem battling disease and you feel like you need someone that is going through the same thing to speak to you about it. Because trust me, the healthy folks won't understand what you're going through. Yep. You have to be in that person's shoe to know what that person's going through. I'm a stage four cancer patient. I've been battling this for four years. I'm doing chemotherapy as we speak. My next cycle is in two weeks' time. I just finished a 12-week cycle of which every time after treatment, I will warm it on average 10 times a day for a week. <laughs> it's not pleasant. Nausea, lethargy, I have problems. And if you need someone to talk about, hey, just Google, look for me, send me an email, and I'll get in touch with you. So go and check out June at uh, thomasphillips.com. www.thomasphillips.com.my Yep. And uh, look for June. Uh, that's T-J-U-N. Yeah. So yes. you can... Reach him there through the email. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whether is it legal problem or health challenges, mental, you know, trying to go through it. Or you're yeah. talking about <laughs> jujitsu. I'm also happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, he is also training in uh, leverage BJJ. Yes. Yeah, in Tamantun. Yeah. Yes. So it's a black belt there, by the way, not 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 white, not blue, black. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I so you can talk to him, and after get choked by him. I'm actually very proud <laughs> of being the only person I I know to have earned my black belt. In, in Jiu Jitsu, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, whilst undergoing cancer treatment, yeah. chemotherapy. I do not know anyone else. They may be black belts and then they get cancer. Or they may get cancer, uh, sorted it in remission, and then do, do Jiu Jitsu and earn their black belt. But I do not know anyone who earned their black belt training as a late stage cancer patient. I've not known also. Yeah, so. I broken arm, I just had a broken thumb. I would stop for six months for it to heal. He's going through chemo and he's still in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, do hit the subscribe button and follow our podcast if you like what you're watching. And also leave a comment and tell us what are some of the topics that you would like us to cover next. See you guys.